hello, 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 everybody. You are listening to The Gorman Limit. I am your host, Neil Gorman. This is episode number 009 of my podcast. And the topic of today's podcast is the moment before. Now, when I say that, my guess is that people are like, wait a minute, the moment before, the moment before what? You know, when I, when I say that's my topic, I'm, I'm thinking and I'm hoping, I suppose, that it makes you curious, that it makes some questions come into your mind. That is something that I think would be really great if that's what's happening. So yeah, that's our topic, the moment before. What I want to do in this first introductory part of the podcast is set this up a little bit, explain to you why I have chosen this topic, where the idea to do a podcast on this topic came from. Then after I do that, I'll play a little bit of introduction music and you know we'll jump into the, the content itself. But here's the backstory. So in addition to making this podcast and other podcasts, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I listen to podcasts when I'm walking. I listen to podcasts when I'm folding laundry. I listen to podcasts um, when I'm you know cutting the grass or blowing snow. I live in the Midwest. We get a lot of snow here. Uh, I listen to podcasts pretty regularly. I listen to a large number of them. And one of the podcasts that I listen to that I really like a lot is The Ezra Klein Show. Ezra Klein is a journalist. He was one of the founders of Vox Media. Uh, his podcast used to be on the Vox podcast network thing. It's not there anymore. He's since left Vox, even though he created it. And he's moved to the New York Times. And now his podcast is done by the New York Times. The Ezra Klein Show is an interview podcast. And on that podcast, Ezra Klein, the host, finds really interesting people with very cool ideas. And he gets together with them and they talk. Yeah, he interviews them. Now, when he interviews them, his interviews are just really, really good. If you are interested in the interview just as a form, as a thing that people do, and you don't listen to the Ezra Klein show, I would encourage you to do it uh, because his interview style is like really awesome. He goes into interviews well-informed about his guest and what his guest thinks and does and stuff like that. And he actually... He doesn't just ask them questions. He does. He asks them questions, quite a few. But in addition to that, he engages them in conversations around their ideas. And when I say he engages them in conversations, I mean that he also talks with them about what he thinks. Or he, he kind of says, so your idea about whatever thing is interesting to me for this reason. And it, and it makes me reflect on this thing that has happened in my own life or it matches up with something that I think because of this other thing, he, he has really, really wonderful free-flowing conversations. They're so, so good. And I really like them for that reason. So anyways, I was listening to the Ezra Klein show recently. And he had a guest on that I was really excited to hear him talk to. It was the writer George Saunders. Uh, when I saw that Ezra Klein was interviewing George Saunders, I was like, oh, this is going to be really good. Because I really like George Saunders. I really like his writing. I like his work. I like him. And so I was like, this is going to be great. So I... Uh, I made sure that when I started the podcast, I started it when I was driving and I was going to have like, I was going to be driving to someplace that was pretty far away. And so I knew that I would have a good chunk of time to really listen to it. And the interview was great. It didn't disappoint. It was so good. Uh, they, they talked about a bunch of different things. The main thing they talked about was this new book that George Saunders has recently published. The name of that book is A Swim in the Pond in the Rain. And it's a, a book about Russian short stories. 
Uh, I'll put a link to that book in my show notes in case anybody wants to to check it out. I have not read that book, so I can't vouch for it. Uh, but at some point when I have some time, I will be reading that book because George Saunders wrote it. And as I said a moment ago, I really like his stuff, so I'll be reading that book. But anyways, I keep on getting sidetracked here. I got to stop that. Okay, point here. Uh, Ezra Klein is interviewing George Saunders. He's interviewing about this book. And as they're talking, they kind of meander onto some kind of related topics. And one of the topics that they meander onto is the topic of parenting. And this is, of course, extremely interesting to me because I am a parent. I have an almost two-year-old kid and I have an, an infant in my house. And it turns out that Ezra Klein also is a parent of, I think, a, a pretty young toddler age kid as well. And him and George Saunders are talking about parenting. And as they're talking about parenting, they talk about those situations where, you know, you're trying to be a good parent, a good mom, a good dad, whatever. And things happen, <laughs> moments happen that are not easy. Moments happen that are, you know, problematic, weird, unexpected, and uh, maybe anxiety producing. Things get messed up, they get broken. Uh, there's crying, there's bodily fluids, et cetera, et cetera. The, the weird stuff that happens when you're a parent. And they talked about how difficult those moments can be and how difficult it is to respond to those moments in ways that don't suck. You know, everybody who is a parent who I know, myself included in this, you know, wants to do a pretty good job of being a parent, wants to be able to respond to problematic, anxiety-producing, emotionally volatile moments in the best possible way. And likewise, everybody I know who's a parent, myself included, doesn't do that all the time. There's times where we, we respond to moments that are hard and we do a pretty good job of responding to them. And there are times where we, we respond to moments that are hard, but we don't respond to them in ways that we're like really proud of. We, we, we overreact, we underreact. We get emotional ourselves and lash out. These sorts of things happen. So as George and Ezra were talking about that, there was this concept that came up in their conversation. It was called the moment before. And I'm going to summarize it just real quickly here. When we find ourselves in moments that are difficult, you know, we can respond in good ways. We can respond in ideal ways. We can respond in bad ways. We can respond in less than ideal ways. And one of the biggest contributing factors to the way that we respond to difficult, problematic, very emotionally invocative moments is the moment before that moment and the state that we have put ourselves in in the moment before the difficult moment, right? The difficult moment, the moment of crisis, the moment of, oh my gosh, what something terrible has happened here. That, that's one moment. And if we want to be good at responding to those moments, those moments of, ah, one of the best things that we can do is set ourselves up to be good at responding to them by taking care of ourselves in the moment before. And that's what we're going to be talking about on today's episode of The Gorman Limit, the moment before. If that sounds interesting to you, and I hope it does sound interesting to you, I hope that you'll stick around and listen to the other things, the other stuff that I'm going to be saying just a little bit here about the moment before.
before I start talking about the moment before, what I think would be a good idea is talking about the concept of moments. And to talk about that concept, I'm going to be tapping into some knowledge that is in my head here. So most of the people who listen to this know that in addition to making podcasts, I do other things, right? I, I'm a university professor. That's one of the things that I do. And I'm also a psychotherapist and a psychoanalyst. And in an attempt to get better at all of those things, I do a lot of reading. I read a lot of stuff. I read a lot of articles. I read a lot of books. And a couple of years ago, I happened upon something that I thought, oh, this, this is cool. This is interesting. It was a article that was written by a group of people called the Boston Change Process Study Group. And I found that article because I was researching one of the members of that group, a guy named Daniel Stern. Daniel Stern was an infant researcher and a psychoanalyst and a, and a bunch of other cool things too. He was one of the, the, he wrote this book in 1985 called The Interpersonal World of the Infant. And I had to read that book uh, for a class that I was in uh, when I was getting my, my own uh, doctorate degree. I remember when I, I got the book, I'm like, I have to read this book, The Interpersonal World of the Infant. It's about babies. I'm not, at the time I wasn't a parent. I wasn't that into babies. I thought babies are kind of like boring. And I didn't want to read this book, but I, I, I was in the class and I wanted to do well in the class. So I read the book and the book blew me away. Uh, I was so captivated by this book that I thought was going to be super, super boring. The ideas that Daniel Stern presented in this book just like grabbed me and interested me. And they continue to interest me now, even at this point in my life. So anyways, I'd, I'd found this book and it was written by this guy named Daniel Stern. I wanted to learn more and he wrote it in 1985. And this was many years later that I was reading the book and I wanted to kind of get caught up on some of the things that he was thinking and doing since 1985. And when I Googled him, I found that he was one of the founders of this thing called the Boston Change Process Study Group, which was a group of people that got together and their, what they were trying to study was change, specifically change in therapy. Uh, it was a bunch of people who recognized that when you're a therapist, you might work with lots and lots and lots of different people. Some people change, some people don't change. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to try to figure out why is it that the people who change change? Like what, why do some people change and other people not change? What is the thing which leads to people changing? They wanted to figure that out. And uh, they, they wrote a lot of articles about that. And I could talk a lot about those articles and about the process of change, but I'm going to save that for a different episode of The Gorman Limit. We're not going to talk about that today. Uh, what I will say is when I was reading one of their articles, they made an argument that I thought was pretty interesting. Their argument was that therapy and life happen on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. What does that mean? Well, what it means is that human beings, the bodies that we are, exist within time and space. That's how we experience everything is as a body in time and space. And uh, as we go through life, we break up sort of uh, our experience of time and space into discrete things called moments. And they argued that a moment is anything which lasts from approximately three seconds to approximately 10 seconds. 
the idea is that that as we do the different things that we do, we experience a moment which leads to another moment, which leads to another moment, which leads to another moment. But these, if we take a look at like say a day, um, a day is a collection of a whole bunch of moments, and, and that just kind of add up and continue to sort of like feed into each other. If you're a therapist and you're doing a session with a patient, that session is going to be a collection of moments. Most sessions, psychotherapy sessions, you know, last approximately an hour. So it is about an hour's worth of these moments that kind of come together. Let me give you a, a little bit of an illustration of that. So let's say you're in an office, you walk out of your office and you walk to the waiting room. That's a moment. You look in the waiting room, you're looking for your patient. You see them, you wave to them, they wave to you. That's a moment. You say, why don't you come on back to the office? And you start walking back with them. That's a moment. You walk into the office and situate your bodies in that office. You sit down. That's a moment. You look at your patient. You say, what would you like to talk about this week? And they kind of sit there and they think about it for a couple of seconds. That's a moment. And then eventually the patient says, you know what? I was asking myself that very same question while I was sitting in the waiting room. It's been a pretty good week. I don't know that I have a lot that I really need or want to talk about. That's a moment. I could go on, but you get the point, right? Moments, 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 moments. Everything happens in moments. That's the first thing I want to say. Now, the second thing is that moments inform one another. So like when you start a session with a patient, those first moments, the moment of getting everything rolling, the vibe of those moments, the feel of those moments, the way that those moments unfold, that influences the moments that come after them. So and then those moments that come after that, the the they influence the other ones. So we're we're whenever we find ourselves moving from one moment, from moment A into moment B, the way that we feel in moment B is largely determined by what has happened in moment A. Then as we move into moment C, the way that we feel in moment C is largely determined by the way that we felt in moment A and moment B put together. Then as we move into moment D, same thing. You, It's like the way that we feel in moment D is a combination of A, B, and C. And it keeps on going like this, right? We we do things. Now, there's certain points where we, we actually, I think of um, I think of it like this. A sentence is built of words. You have a word, a word, a word, a word, and eventually you, you have a the end of a sentence, a period, an exclamation mark, a question mark, or something to that effect. Um, but you don't have the sentence without the words. Um, and then in, likewise, we have paragraphs, and you don't have paragraphs without sentences. I would argue that what the Boston Change Process Study Group was getting at is that the way that we experience life, the way that we experience ourselves as, t- as bodies in time and space is similar to that. We have these these moments, and these moments add together to create sort of like paragraphs, I think you might call them. And uh, there are some paragraphs which are a combination of a bunch of moments, and then there's a break and you start a new paragraph um, and a whole new set of moments. And this is just kind of how we experience life. That's the way that it works. We're kind of, uh, we're on a ride. We don't know where it's going. We do know where it's been. We can look back and see what has happened before. We can look forward and we can try to guess what's going to happen next, but that's a lot more murky. There's a lot more unknowns with what is about to happen than there is with what just did happen. So that's the the first thing that I think we need to explore if we're going to understand the moment before is the moment to moment nature of the way that we experience ourselves as human beings, as bodies 
in time and space. We need to recognize that each moment that's happening to us, like right now you're, you're in a moment, you're listening to this podcast somewhere, you're thinking things in this moment. The things that you're thinking right here, right now, in this moment are influenced by a lot. They're, they're very influenced by the things that I said in the moments before this moment. You're, you're experiencing this now, right? You're, you're here now, and you're here now feeling the way that you're feeling, thinking the things that you're thinking because of the things that happened just a little bit ago in the moments before. And this is how we, we live our lives. Now, this might seem like a duh of course, yes, I knew that. And I, and I get that. I don't think that I'm saying anything revolutionary here. But what I the reason I'm harping on it, the reason I'm talking about it, is because even though we know this about ourselves, we don't think about it a lot. We don't think about the fact that in this moment, in this here and now, the way that, that we're going to comport ourselves in relation to whatever happens to be around us is so determined by what has happened before. And we need to remember that if we're going to understand this concept of the moment before and why that moment before is so important. with the Boston Change Process Study Group for a moment. <laughs> All right. Um, so what I just talked about, life, therapy, everything happens on this moment-by-moment moment basis. But not all moments are the same. This is one of the other things that the, the Boston Change Process Study Group talks a lot about. Not every moment is the same. They talk about this feeling that we'll get sometimes in life or, or in a psychotherapy kind of session. And it's the feeling of moving along. Uh, everybody can relate to this, even if you're not a therapist. So if you've ever been in a conversation with somebody, you know, maybe it's, it's a friend, maybe it's a first date, whatever, uh, you're talking to another person. If the conversation is flowing, like you bring up something, the person who you're talking to responds to that, and you talk, then you respond to their response, and you feel like things are moving along, uh, that's that's good, right? That's kind of how a lot of moments work. There, you feel like you're moving along, you feel like you're going somewhere. You might not know exactly where it is that you are going in the conversation, but you sense that the conversation is moving along. Uh, let's think of a quick example here off the top of our head. Say that you're uh, going to something like your uh, high school reunion, and you go to your high school reunion. And you see somebody and you haven't seen them in years, right? But you recognize them and they seem to recognize you. And so you, you make your way over to each other. You're like, hey, you're like, hey. And you're like, it's been a long time. You're like, yeah, it really has. That's a moment. And you go, hey, let's, what have you been up to? And they say, I have done this thing and this thing and this thing. How about you? That's a moment. And then you respond. You're like, well, I've done this thing and this thing and this thing. And you, they go, oh, that's really cool. Okay, that's a moment. 
then maybe you say like, hey, do you want to, I, I think I see somebody else over there. Do you remember that person? Is that who, is that who I think it is? And they, they look over there and they go, yeah, it is. That's a moment, right? And you, you get the point here, right? You can see how this conversation, which doesn't really have a plan, is just sort of like moving along. It's not one of those conversations where you're stuck in it and nothing is happening, where you see somebody and you're like, hey, and they're like, what's up? You go, how are you? And they go, I'm good. You, like the, those conversations that just are moments are happening, but you don't feel like they're going anywhere. Those can happen as well. Okay, so as we're we're moving along in a conversation, as we're moving along through life, it's moment to moment to moment is unfolding, and, and we're living them. Occasionally, there will be moments where something unexpected happens. The Boston Change Process Study Group calls these moments now moments. These are moments where uh, you kind of are taken off of what I will call autopilot. What do I mean by that? So most of the time when we're moving along, we're on autopilot. We're just sort of like doing stuff, but we're not really thinking that much about what it is that we're doing or how it is that we're doing it. Let me give you an example of moment to moment to moment kind of passing on autopilot. Uh, In the morning, a lot of times what people will do is they'll have a routine uh, and you'll wake up your alarm goes off. That's your, your, your body becomes aware of it. That's a moment. You turn the alarm off. You look at the time. It's whatever time. That's a moment. You get up, you stretch, you know, kind of get your body moving a little bit. That's a moment. Then maybe you go into your bathroom. You start brushing your teeth. That's a moment. And this goes on and on and on. Eventually, you find yourself down in your, your kitchen. Maybe you're going to make some coffee. So you, you do your coffee-making routine. You've brewed your coffee. You pour the coffee into a mug and you're, the next thing you do is you go into your, your refrigerator. You're going to grab like milk or cream or something like that. And when you go in there, you realize that there is no milk. There is no cream. The container is empty. You know, somebody has used the last of it and they have not replaced the container. This would be a very low level example of a now moment because what would happen in that moment is you'd have to take yourself off of autopilot and just kind of like letting your body do the thing that it does next without much thought. You'd have, you'd recognize that there's a problem of, uh, here. The problem being that you, something you want isn't available. And at that point you kind of like wake up a little bit. And in that moment where you wake up a little bit, you change the way that you're relating to the world around you. You're like, what am I going to do about this? And you have, you know, you make a choice. Are you going to yell at somebody because they took the last of the milk and didn't replace it? Are you going to um, grumble to yourself and grab your car keys and go get some? You know, are you just going to drink the coffee black, even though it's not the way that you want it? You know, you're going to have to make some choices in this moment. That's a now moment. Uh, you're not going to be able to rely on routine. You're not going to be able to rely on autopilot in that moment. Now, those kinds of moments are not the ones that the Boston Change Process Study Group is that concerned with. The kind of now moments they're concerned with are more interpersonal ones where you're engaging with another person and the other person who you are engaging with does something, says something that you don't expect. Uh, Let's kind of game that out for a little bit here. So imagine you are going to work wherever you work and you're seeing the people who you normally see at work. Hey, what's up? How are you? You know, whatever. Maybe you're getting your coffee at work, whatever it is that you do. And let's say at a certain point, somebody comes and uh, they find you and they're like, hey, we need to talk. And they say it like that. They say it in that tone. We, we need to talk. In that moment, 
you might be starting a now moment. You're recognizing that something non-standard is occurring and you're going to need to respond to that. And you may be like, oh, okay. So you let's say you, you go with this person and you go into, I don't know, a, a place with a door and you, you close the door. And they say to you, um, okay, I need you to keep this to yourself. All right, I don't want this getting out. But uh, another person who works here, whoever, uh, they've, they've been embezzling a lot of money for a really long time. We just found out about it today. And it turns out that uh, th this company, this place where we both work, it is in some pretty significant financial trouble. This would be an example of a now moment. When you went to work that day, you didn't expect that you were going to find out that some important person was embezzling, nor did you expect to find out that the company was in financial trouble. For all you knew, it was doing just fine. But now you know this information that you didn't know before. You're in a moment, a, a super important moment. This is a now moment. Now moments are moments where unexpected things happen. We can't rely on autopilot. We can't rely on routine. We can't rely on just sort of like making it up as we go along like we normally do. We have to make choices and our choices are going to be important because they're going to have an impact on ourselves and probably other people too. These are what now moments are. Now, the Boston Change Process Study Group says when there's a now moment, there's kind of two things that can happen. The first thing is the one that actually happens more, more often than not, unfortunately, and it's called a missed moment. And in a missed moment, what happens is you find yourself in a now, now moment. And now moments are interesting because when you're in one, you probably feel more emotional and you probably are a little bit more vulnerable to your emotions than you are under normal circumstances. And what you do in that moment is you flee from your vulnerability. You, you, when you miss a moment, what you do is you, you do something where you try to probably like rely on routine, even though routine isn't going to work. So like, let's go back to my hypothetical example. Somebody says, I need to keep this under your hat. You know, you, uh, the embezzling companies in financial trouble. If you, um, say to the person, what, and you like, you like lose your temper, that would be an example of a missed moment, right? It's a, it was a chance where you could have behaved, you know, I don't know, uh, you could have responded to this problematic moment in a way that, uh, lessened the problematic nature of it, or you could have responded to it in a way that increased the problematic nature of it. Well, losing your mind is probably the latter. That's a missed moment. You miss, what do you miss? You miss the opportunity to behave well. To, to do something good, I guess. That's what gets missed. A moment of meeting is where you meet somebody in vulnerability and you're, you, you hang out there together. You're like, okay, you're telling me this. Let's figure out what we're going to do. Let's talk about this. Let's figure this out. Uh, and maybe you start trying to figure out what, what happens next. That would be a uh, moment of meeting. You meet in the vulnerability and you hang out there as opposed to trying to like dash out of the vulnerability and missing it altogether. That's a missed moment. So that's the idea. Uh, let me give you an example from the Boston Change Process Study Group's own literature here because I think it, it shows this a lot better than my stupid hypothetical example probably will. So in one of the articles by that group, uh, a therapist is meeting with a teenage boy who is a patient. And this particular teenage boy, when he was younger... He, I guess there was some kind of kitchen accident. And as a result of that kitchen accident, he has a really big scar on like his shoulder and chest. And, you know, summer comes along and he's hanging out with his friends and they're going to the beach. And, you know, most of the time when teenage boys go to the beach, they take their shirts off. But this teenage boy, 
he doesn't like taking his shirt off and he doesn't like taking his shirt off because when he takes his shirt off, he has to reveal this like really kind of um, noticeable scar on his shoulder and on his, his chest. And he doesn't like, he can see people see the scar and see their reaction. And he doesn't like it. And uh, if I remember the case correctly, this teenage boy has a lot of uh, like body issues, right? And he's telling his, his therapist about these issues. And now his therapist is a woman, I think in her thirties or something like that. And after he talks about this a lot, one of the things that he does, you know, there's a moment he's telling her about this, he's telling her about this, she's responding, things are moving along in therapy. Then at a certain moment, the kid says to, the, the, the teenage boy patient says to his 30-something-year-old um, female clinician, you know what, why don't I just show you the scars? And he goes to take off his t-shirt. And this is a moment of a now moment, a moment where the kid has chosen to be very vulnerable and show this person, this scar on his body. Um, but so he's going to feel vulnerable, but the, the woman clinician also feels vulnerable because, you know, she's a woman and she's got this teenage boy in her office taking off his shirt and that makes her feel vulnerable. And when, as he goes to take off his shirt, she says, no, 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 that's okay. And what happens in that moment, that's a missed moment. She, he was feeling vulnerable. She was also vulnerable. She ran away from the vulnerability. And in doing that, what she did is she confirmed all these negative beliefs that this kid had about his body and about the reaction that his body invokes in other people. She didn't mean to do that. It was an accident. But it's a good example of a missed moment is what it comes down to. So that's, that's an example of a missed moment. Uh, so do you think you get this here? There's, there's moments. There's moving along. Now moments where something exciting is happening something unexpected, something emotionally invocative, something, oh my gosh. Uh, in those moments, we can respond in ways where we decide to kind of like be in that moment with the vulnerability that it provokes, or we can flee from that vulnerability. If we stay in it, we can have a moment of meeting. We run away, we have a missed moment. section of this podcast. So now that I've explained that we live in this moment by moment, moment to moment way, we feel like we're moving along. Not all moments are the same. Some moments are important. Autopilot won't work. Now moment occurs. We make choices. Sometimes we can make good choices where we have a, a moment of meeting. And other times we can make choices that are maybe not as great and we have a missed moment. Let's go back to where I started this podcast. Started out by talking about this interview between Ezra Klein and George Saunders. And in that interview, one of the things that they were talking about was being parents. And they're saying that, you know, of course, when you're a parent, you have kids, especially little kids, I think. I say that to somebody who has little kids. You're confronted with moments where, oh my gosh, something has happened and you didn't know that that thing was going to happen, but it is happening. Um, let me think of a good example of this the other day. Uh, this is a recent one from my own life here. I was with my almost two-year-old kid. We were in the kitchen. He was hungry. 
And I was like, okay, cool. We'll get you some food. So I uh, um, poured him some milk and I put it in this cup that you, you know, use for kids. It's a sippy cup, right? It's a, you got a lid that you screw onto it. And the, this, the theory of this cup is that it will prevent things from being spilled, right? That's the theory. So I give him that. And, uh, you know, then I, I go back to the fridge and I'm like trying to find other food that I can give my kid. And I hear him go, uh-oh. And I'm, I turn around, milk everywhere. Milk is just everywhere. So something bad, I don't know if he took the lid off or if I didn't put the lid on correctly. I was very tired when this occurred, but there was milk everywhere. And, you know, I'm saying it very calmly in this moment as I'm telling it to you on this podcast, but man, in that moment, I was pissed. I was mad. I was just like, what? It, it, It was super frustrating that milk was everywhere. Uh, because now I have to clean up. Oh, I forgot to mention this. Uh, the other thing that was, we had to, uh, t- I had to take my kids somewhere. We had like an appointment that we needed to get to. And now, you know, so the idea was we're going to eat and we're going to go. And now I have this mess that I need to clean up. It's going to jack up the plan. And I'm, I'm really irritated in that moment. Now, here's the thing. My kid has just spilled milk everywhere. And I'm, willing to bet you dollars to donuts that he knows that that's not a good thing, that milk is everywhere. He's not like smiling. He's not happy. He's not laughing. He's saying, uh-oh, which means that he knows that something bad has occurred here. And, um, you know, it in the moment, I, I looked at my kid and I was just like, hey, dude, it's cool. We'll, we'll clean it up. Um, he's actually getting more upset. He's He's kind of starting to cry now. And I'm like, it's fine, it's fine. So I, I comfort my, I, I tamp down my irritation. I comfort my kid. We get the milk cleaned up, and I'm like, okay, we'll we'll figure this out. Like, let's let's here here's a let's find something else we can eat. Like, here's a cheese stick. You can eat that in the car. Everything ended up being okay. Um, and while this is not clearly like a super important moment in his life or mine, I would like to assume that that moment is a good example of a moment of meeting. You know, uh, he was frustrated. I was frustrated. We were both vulnerable to being frustrated in this moment. And we were kind of frustrated together. We, we met in that vulnerability and we got through it. That's a good example of a, uh, a moment of meeting. I'm going to pat myself on the back. You can't see me doing that, but I'm literally patting myself on the back right now as I talk about that. It's a good thing. Um, now, this could have gone badly. I could have um, lost my mind. I could have, you know cursed or whatever, uh, different things like that. Um, but I didn't do that. I, I did. Okay. I don't always react this way though. Right. I gave you the success story first. There's many, 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 many times where I do not react that way. Where when I'm in a, a now moment, I, I respond badly. Uh, I can recall one instance of this where, um, you know, I, I ended up, I was sitting, uh, this is another kid moment here. I was hanging out with my kid and um, he had this thing in his hand and he dropped it and he dropped it right on my foot. And it, it was something that hurt my foot. And in that moment, like when this thing hit my foot it and it hurt, I, I ended up swearing. And my kid could, I, and I, I didn't just swear kind of quietly. I did it. I was like, Rah! you know, I, I really let rip. And... Then my kid felt bad that he had done this thing. He felt bad that he had hurt me and he's seen me swear as a result. 
And my partner who watched this whole thing go down, she saw that and she wasn't happy with me for the way that I reacted. And then she, um, you know, kind of told me like, hey, like, let me, let me take the kid. And I was just, I, I was just like, I, I got it. I got it. You know, and I, I reacted very negatively and inappropriately. And again, nothing terrible happened. I didn't, I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't burn a house down. I didn't, you know, end up killing an animal. <laughs> nothing really terrible happened, but I didn't handle the situation well. I handled the situation like an emotionally compromised, sleep deprived, irritated person. And that wasn't so great. So that's, that's my, my idea here, right? I, hopefully you, you see where I'm going. We all have now moments in our life. Sometimes we respond well. Sometimes we don't respond well. The thing that came up in the Ezra Klein, George Saunders interview is how can parents, and not just parents, but just people, I guess, how can they, when they're in moments, now moments, how can they maximize their capacity to respond to those moments in ways that result in moments of meaning? How can people maximize their ability to respond to problematic, stressful, anxiety-producing moments in ways that don't suck? And their answer to that was that you the best way to make sure that you are good in a moment of crisis is to make sure that you're good in the moment before the crisis, the moment before. And This might seem like a no-brainer, but I really kind of want us to slow down and consider it. Think about it for a couple of seconds here. I have two small children. And what that means is that there's a lot of times where I'm taking care of them. And if I'm taking care of them, I'm not taking care of me to the same degree that I could be. Uh, I have a partner, luckily, right? I have a really great partner. And we can share the responsibility of taking care of our kids. And a lot of times what I might want to do is not impose upon her or bother her or ask her for help because of a whole bunch of reasons, right? But um, the idea here is that if I can take care of me and get my baseline level of all rightness, taking care ofness at a a pretty good spot, that will mean that when I find myself confronted with a now moment, a situation, a problem of some sorts, I will be a lot more likely to respond well and a lot less likely to respond badly. But if I have taken care of myself in the moment before. So again, let me try to land this here. The best thing we can do for ourselves, our kids, our partners, and the other people around us who we care about is actually find ways of caring for ourselves, our bodies, our minds in the moments before we have a crisis. We don't know when a crisis moment is going to present itself to us. We don't know when they're coming. That's the nature of crisis moments. We don't know when a now moment is coming. That's the nature of a now moment. Um, we can't prepare for them uh, all of the time. But the one of the things that we can do that, that will actually probably help us a great deal if we can do this is take care of ourselves in the moments before. And that's that's easy to say. It's hard to do, right? Super easy to say. I'm probably saying this and there's probably people who are listening to this and they're going like, this is, why are you wasting my time with this crap? But this is, this is a no brainer, man. Sure. Maybe. But the reality is if I'm, and I'm using myself as a yardstick here and I realize that that can be problematic. Um, I am not really that great at taking care of myself in the moment before. I'm definitely not as good as I want to be. And I think I might be representative here. There are times where 
I push myself, where I stretch myself, where I don't ask for help, even though help is available. And the reason I do that is because I'm proud and I, I want to be like capable and show everybody how, how I can, you know, be tough and get through difficult things without help and all that. And the more that I do that, the, the, the what happens is my baseline level of all rightness, taking care ofness goes down. And what that means is that when I find myself in a situation where I'm confronted with something that demands that my autopilot be turned off, those now moments, those crisis moments, I'm far more apt to act like an idiot. That's really it. Um, I feel like I could keep on talking about this, but if I did, I'd probably be um, belaboring the point. I'm going to assume that you, listener, whoever you are, that you're smart, that you get this, right? So uh, if anything happens as a result of this podcast, I'm hoping that it is that you, whoever you are, and that, that me, being me, will get better at taking care of ourselves in the moments before. And, and also, potentially, when we're, when we're at a really high water level of being all right, when we're really well taken care of, when we're well rested, our blood sugar is managed, we're getting the exercise that we need, we're eating our green vegetables, so on and so forth. When, when we're in a good spot, when we have taken care of ourselves so much that we really probably can maybe relax on that front, that's a really good time to take care of other people in our lives so that and, and, and raise their level of taking care of this, their level of all rightness, make that go higher. Because if we do that, we're going to be in such a better position to respond to the unpredictable crises that are inevitably going to present themselves to us in our lives. And I think that is it. Take care of yourself in the moment before. Take care of others in the moment before. Because when you do, those now moments, they'll be a lot easier. This has been The Gorman Limit, episode number 009. Thank you for listening. I appreciate it. Till next time, whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, please, please, please make glorious mistakes. <laughs>